0: want to, to say first thank you to everybody that's been doing stuff Pastor appreciation month makes me very nervous i it's like uh it's like you have to do something or you know i it, I just hate that but uh but but we do want to thank you, and I think I can say this well I know I can say this because we talk about this around here um, from everybody on staff we're 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 honored to work here it's a privilege for us to be here it's not n- none of our staff look at it as um, you know that we have some kind of right to be here or something. This is a gift from God, and we know that. And uh, it's it's also a pleasure to work with most of you. It's it's really it's a really great thing. Um, the ones that aren't, you know who you are, you know why. Uh, I did want to mention a, a couple of things. The uh, our our uh, building in India, we it's it's basically done. The bottom floor is done. The the guys have been moving in. And I was thinking about this. We were talking to them this last week, and about all the stuff that they that they are carrying with them, and and it's not much. I mean, we 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 asked them, "What what all are you moving over there?" And it was just, it's really not very many things. They just don't have a lot of stuff, and uh, and so I'm thinking, why is it taking a week or two to move in, you know, kind of thing? But they, they don't have a car or anything. They're walking a few miles to move. Think about moving. By carrying everything in your hands, and and there's just a unique little thing that we were processing there with them. There's a lot of things that uh, we're 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 wanting to to finish the top floor for the the church. I mentioned that last week. The top floor, the entire space, will be a a facility for people to meet in. That's where they'll do church services, do home. Um, group things they 've already got some children' stuff that they 're doing that they 'll move up into that when we get it done. We can finish the easily finish the wall and all the backfill and everything for that with the money we have. We can support them with their salaries with the money that we have. but we do not have enough money to finish that top floor and so we need your help with this it 's going to cost about twenty thousand dollars for that, which obviously is not much compared to the building. The entire building was like thirty uh, five thousand thirty four thirty five or something like that. For the bottom floor, I mean, this is this is amazing the way the opportunity to do this. So we want to ask you, want to solicit you for uh, financials to this. Pray about it. Talk to God. See if you want to contribute something to this. If you do, put on your envelope RPH or India or something like that, so that we know what this goes toward. Um, but we want the they're going to start doing the rest of the the boundary wall and all that stuff uh, starting this next week. And so we want you to, if you want to contribute to that, we want to do that as soon as possible, so that when they're done with that, I'll take them. A little while, a month or so, to do that. That we'll have the money, and they can immediately finish uh, the top floor of that. So, so pray about it. Be thinking about it, and uh, and jump in and give something to that. Something that did happen. We <clears throat> we talk with our pastors uh, over there every Tuesday morning. We have a Skype meeting with them, in about thirty forty five minutes, and we interact with what's going on, all the different things, what's happening with the building, and what our ministry things are doing. We'll talk to them about. I mean, we talk to them about tons of stuff. Uh, even some things like how, uh, you know, how do you how do you interact as as two guys together trying to be pastors, and and how do you take care of each other, and how about, I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff, and they always, they defer to us quite a bit on some things, um, because of, it's a cultural thing, it's a ministry thing, uh cultural thing also, and so Dr. Matthews is always there with me, um, talk, so that he can, there'll be things, like they were explaining a bed this last week, how he said, you can go get a mattress, or you, and he, and the, the guy said, well, I don't know what it is in English, and he said a, a word in Hindi, he said, but that's what it is. And so Dr. Matthew stopped and said, well, that's a kind of bed that they build a frame and then they just take, take rope and wrap rope around it over and over and over, and then you can adjust the tightness of the mattress, it's not mattress, it's a rope, by tightening the rope. And he said, that's called, and, they, and so he does things like that with me culturally uh, throughout this, and then he'll explain, I'll say something and he'll say, well, they wouldn't understand that, and he'll explain it to them culturally, American culture and things. And so this this week we were talking to him, and um, praying for him. And uh, he they, they've done this before where they they'll defer to to us like like tile putting the tile in the building. They said, uh, "What kind of tile should we put in there?" And we tell them, "Put whatever tile you want." You know, they send us choices. They said, and and they say, "No, you're the man of God. You choose the tile." I, I, I guess that's a man of God choice. So, um, so I I chose a tile. So we've had those moments along the way, and. Uh, so this week, we were talking with them, praying for him, and, and um, Santosh's wife is due in the end of December. She does not live there in Ramperhut with them. After the baby's born, January, February, she's going to bring the baby to Hut and, and the, our building will be finished. They can have their own housing and all this kind of stuff there. And so um, she's been kind of sick, and so we've been praying for her, and I, said, I asked Santosh, I said, um, have you decided on a name for the baby yet? Uh, we can pray for Ruby and the baby. And Santos said, you're the man of God. You name the baby. (laughs) And I was like, what? What, huh? And so I made a joke because that's my default. And uh, I said, well, what if I want to name it Scott and it's a girl? And he was dead serious. He didn't understand I was making a joke. And he said, no, you need two names. You need a boy name and a girl name. I was like, okay, you're not... I don't want to name the baby. I don't, you know, I, I couldn't say that to him. And so Dr. Matthew's sitting there, so I look over to him because he knows the culture. He can, you know, he can explain, well, you know, we didn't really do that in America kind of thing. And so I look over at Dr. Matthews, and, and he says, yes, you will need two names. You will need a boy name, and you will need a girl name. <laughs> like, you are not helping me right now. And uh, so, I don't know, we may do like a, a church poll and uh, come up with uh, names. I don't know. This is, I'm in new territory. This is uncharted for me. But we're going to be seeing him in, in a month, and I assume he's going to less than a month, and he's going to want the names. I don't know. <clears throat> uh, continue to pray for John Hayjack. I, I know we prayed for him earlier, but continue to pray for him. Um, he is uh, not doing well. He was taken back to the hospital this week. Basically, he'd, he had uh, slipped into a coma, and uh, they took him into ICU, and uh, over, the, over the next day, he, he slowly came out of that. Um, I don't remember when I went to see him. It was uh, Friday or Saturday, but uh, he was he was alert and um, talking, and and uh, we prayed. We we talked about a bunch of stuff, and and um, there was there was um, he just really struggling through a lot. He got an infection, a lot of things. I think everything's just kind of caving in around him. So continue to pray for him uh, throughout this week as you think about this. And if you want to go see him, let me know. We can, uh, we'll, we'll give you, it's a its, uh, memorial main, we'll let you know the information, whatever the case that you need there. So go me to John chapter 1, and, and I want to look at, I want to use some scriptures, probably used for other things normally. You would try to be looking at approving some other things or processing some theological things, but I, I want us to focus in on some of the things that, that uh, may, um, may be kind of one of those sentences that you just kind of read past or read over in, in some of this, but I really think is the point of this. Now we're going to start in verse 10 of John 1, but <clears throat> John 1, 1, uh, John starts off with, in the beginning was the Word. And John is doing something. He's doing something very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, uh, when you're studying this in, in seminary or something like that, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. John, while it's the same story as Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's the story of the gospel, it's the gospel of Jesus, it's a very, very different book. And it's not written for the same purpose. It has a total different... Um, a, a plan to it. John is the reason John starts off with "In the beginning was the Word." Is he's he's starting off with the same exact same verbiage as Genesis chapter one. John is trying to do something that's a lot more transcendent. He's not just saying, "Okay, there was this Jewish guy named Jesus that came and he declared himself to be God and he died on the cross." He he is starting off with a think bigger than yourself. Open up your mind and your spirit because this is a big big story. This story transcends any kind of understanding that you could possibly know. And John uses a lot of language and verbiage throughout his entire writing that, 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 that speaks into eternity, that speaks past right now. Whereas, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke are actually telling the same story, and they're telling about God and human flesh and, and dying on the cross and all these things, John verbalizes it different because John is seeing it in a, in a broader scope, I don't know if he's seeing it, but he's verbalizing it in a much broader scope than uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so he starts off with this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. And, uh, and, 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 and down in verse 10, he says, and he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him, which I don't believe that, that's much different nowadays. I don't think the world recognizes Jesus a lot Nowadays, every, every now and then somebody will come up with a a book or a I, I saw a movie years ago that wasn't a very good movie, but the concept was good. Was um, what, if Jesus was on this earth right now, right? What would it look like? This? And I've often thought about that. Wonder about that. And I really do believe that for the most part, um, churches and, and I'm speaking for America. I don't I don't think it would be the same in, in necessarily in other parts of the world, but. But I don't think that most churches in America would recognize Jesus. And I do believe that there would be a tendency, because this is what religion always brings to the table, and there's always that potential for churches to be more about religion and less about Jesus. We're always having to fight against that. It's, it's, that's, that's an invasion into the church mentality uh, across the United States. There's a good chance that the church in, in America would try to crucify Jesus just like the church in Israel did 2,000 years ago. I don't know that there would be that much difference because at least when I look across the landscape of, of church in America, there's a lot of things that we just kind of assume that this is what church is that has nothing to do with Jesus. And it, and it has nothing to do with the way the church was designed to be. Mentalities even, concepts, uh, theologies even uh, that, that, that become um, kind of invasive uh, into our world and existence that really isn't about Jesus. And then we see here, though, it says that this word, he, he, he shows up, and the world didn't recognize him, although he shows up in the middle of Jewish uh, society which has been prophesying about him for 4,000 years. And they don't recognize him. It says, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God, which is a, is a wonderful thing. We get this. This is one of those things, and there's a handful of them in our, in our Christianity where we do the exact opposite of the way that it's supposed to be done. We do this in the the church world. There are certain rights that the Lord gives us through Scripture as Christians that we don't ever take. We don't ever utilize those rights. But then there are things that as Christians we're not supposed to have like this individual rights in, in society kind of mentality that we fight so hard for. Yeah, we have them constitutionally, and, and it doesn't make us a bad person at that, but it's amazing how easy as Christians, well, I'm, it's my right, I'm going to do, you know, and we get this belligerence, we get this attitude sometimes, when in reality, we're supposed to walk humbly before the Lord and let the Lord be in charge, and that means sometimes we do not fight for our personal rights. Because we are submitted to the Lord first, and sometimes the moment dictates that our submission to the Lord means that we submit to people in circumstances when, in reality, as an American, we have a right to stand up in those moments. I don't think we're supposed to. I don't think we're, we should. I think it's about how we treat people and interact with people in relationship to God a lot of times. But this is one of those rights. He literally says, you have the right. God, Jesus died on the cross so that you have the right to become a child of the king. That's what Romans chapter 8 says, is that the Holy Spirit confirms to us that. We have this right. And and I think there's a handful of other things that Scripture tells You You have a right. You have a right. If you're a Christian, you have a right to boldly go into the throne room of God. It's not because it's something you've done. It's because the blood of Jesus has covered you and given you that, that access key. And so we have the opportunity and the right. There's a lot of things like that. So he continues... They are reborn, these people that have the right. They are reborn, not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. Now and let me throw something out here just to get in your head and make you think about some things theologically. All through this, now John is trying to establish a bigger picture a a wider understanding of the concept, not just the reality of Jesus the person, God in human flesh, but the concept of a transcendent king taken on limited humanity. He's doing something that's much, much bigger here. You notice that he does not use the term Jesus in this entire frame as he is establishing that jesus is going to come to this earth and take on human flesh now he does talk about jesus when he becomes more narrative in this but he is establishing something here this is not this is not a a a, a narrative on the life of jesus this is a foundation beginning on the the uh, person of god in human flesh this is the the explanation of a transcendent incarnation that he's trying to get across here, and he doesn't use the term jesus he keeps using the term Word, that the Word became flesh, that the Word dwelt among us, that in the beginning was the Word. Now, now let me throw this out here because I, this, this is a big one for me in my spirit. I've even explained this sometimes I, I, three or four different times in uh, like seminary settings, and I kind of get pushed back on this. I, I think it's just because their brains aren't as big as mine. So, but I, I try to push this. I want you to grab onto this with me. I really believe that the concept of, of the name of Jesus, that the, that the term Word is more of the descriptor of Jesus than the term Jesus of Nazareth or something like that, or even Son of God. I think the Word is who He is. And I think one of the things that He does for us on this earth as human beings is he allows himself to become Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so that he can step into this physical existence and, uh, and help us understand that God the Father and the Son are t- truly separate. But that that's a limiting, and I believe a um, temporary term for Jesus. Let me explain it this way. I believe when we step into eternity... 100,000 years from now, when we're talking to Jesus, I don't believe we're going to call him Jesus. And I don't believe we're going to call him the son of God. But I do believe we're going to call him the word. Because it's who he is. And that word spoke creation into existence. That word is the same thing that we can wrap up into our existence. Say, Jesus, you've covered me with your blood, and you became flesh so that I could see God. And with that when we speak God's words, we're actually speaking Jesus Christ. And that's why there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the the words of Jesus, and there's power in the understanding of Jesus because he is the transcendent Word. I, I feel like. I'm trying to say something really big in a few small sentences. But I think, in fact, let me, let me throw this out here too. I believe that when we look back, I'm saying 10 million years from now, not, not right now. But when we look back onto this time of humanity on this earth, I believe that the, we will be overwhelmed with the most amazing, supernatural, miraculous aspect of what Jesus did was taking on human flesh the incarnation not the cross the cross is life or death for us it's vital for us jesus dies on the cross and that gives us access into eternity that gives us a relationship made right with god but i believe in that when we <clears throat> when we look at this outside the scope of our dependence and our desperation to be made right with god and we look back upon the big picture I believe that when we think about and we understand the concept of the Word, the transcendent God, Word, was made flesh, I think that will be the overwhelming thing to us. I think that will eclipse everything else, including the, the amazing gift that He gives us by dying on that cross. Becoming flesh in the first place was the God. God transcendent became little human flesh. Now, here's the key for the whole thing is that he says he does this. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. That's the key to this. The driving force for all of this is the fact that Jesus loves us. And and sometimes we can make that so cliche, but that's the point it's not about the rules and all of the other stuff. It's not about the Ten Commandments, the way that, a, that we think sometimes about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is a gift to us. He's trying to give us something and help us with something. And he's, and he's wanting to bless us with something powerful called the Ten Commandments, called the, 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 the law and the, and the regulations and the guidelines and all the different things. He is trying to help us. He's trying to do something. But we as human beings, we have this natural tendency to take this stuff and make it about how he's locking us down. He's hurting us. He's limiting us. He's making life boring. I've had this conversation with people before about this, and I say, okay, let's just go through the Ten Commandments, and you tell me which one of those are hindering you when you follow them, which ones, don't lie, you feel like that's locking you down, you need freedom, you need freedom to lie, your life is better when you lie, things are good when you lie, what about don't murder, don't steal? Don't commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. How how's is that work out better if you can do that? Your life's better, your family, your marriage is better when you can do that? See, we think to ourselves, God doesn't want us to have fun. It's the exact opposite. God wants you to actually enjoy life and he wants you to walk in peace and he wants you to walk in joy. He wants you to engage with all the things that he has designed and created and all this other kind of stuff. And we would rather control our lives through issues and addictions and attitudes and selfishness and perversions and everything else. And that stuff actually locks us down. And we think that God is being mean to us. By, by saying this stuff to us. God, I, I want to be free. Why don't you say the rest of the sentence? I want to be free to lie. I want to be free to, to uh, sleep around whenever I want to. That's way cooler. My idea is way cooler than God's ideas. Yeah, except for the fact that talk to somebody that does that consistently in their life. Is it really better? Is it, is it better? Just a one relationship after the next relationship? I can tell you with 28 years of marriage, Lynn and I are going to be married 28 years this, is it 28 this December? Okay, yeah, I thought so. I knew so, I knew that. But in 28 years of, of marriage, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. My, my oldest son was telling my second son this, a version of this last time we, were, we saw him, talking about how cool it is to be married. He says, you don't know until you get married. He said, you think it's cooler to not be. Then you get married and you're like, Way cooler. Right? Of course, now, some some people, because they want to try to do it their way, they can destroy a marriage, too. It can be a a horrible thing. Marriage can be a horrible thing for some people because they work hard at it. But if you work hard at serving Jesus, it's amazing how a marriage can be good. God's laws can be good. God's plans can be good. And he tells us the reason that he does this is because he is full of unfailing love. He is faithful to us under all circumstances we don't we can't really rationalize that because none of us can be completely uh, have unfailing love or complete uh, faithfulness we don't understand that we want to we strive to that but selfishness gets in the way and and human being human gets in the way but he says when he did all this he comes to this earth he does it full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Let's look at this. I want to show you just a few scriptures. I had a bunch, and, and I wanted to keep it uh, short enough this morning. So I, I just threw a handful in here just to look at this. This is what happens when, when we, when we uh, allow human beings to be in control, when we allow human beings to set the pace and the standard with things like rules and, and relationships and all this other kind of stuff. Here's just a few examples. Acts 25, verse 7. When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations that they couldn't prove. To me, I threw that one in there because that, that was like the sentence that kept going through my head during the uh, Supreme Court stuff. So, Mark chapter 3, verse 22. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, talking about Jesus, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. This is what humans come up with when they get to be the ones in charge, when they get to make the rules. Matthew 15, verse 1. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they said, why do your disciples disobey our, there's the key, our age-old tradition? They ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. I, I read this to my parents one time when I was a kid. Is that, like we go over it in Sunday school, and I'm like, that's right. I don't need to be washing my hands. So I, I, I think it was like third grade or something like that. And so I went to my parents afterwards and I was like, um, I want to read this scripture to you before we have lunch today. And uh, I read the scripture. I, I did a similar thing one time to my dad. I, I, so I was in high school in the 80s. You know, Pat was talking earlier about he got saved in 1971. I was one. When he got saved. I just he's not here for me to rub that in, but and I'm the oldest on our staff by a lot of years. Just so, all right. I, I went to my dad and um and I you know, I was I had long hair, I was growing long hair, that's what that's what we did in the eighties, you know, you wanted to look like all the heavy metal guys, and so I was and I had really, really curly hair, and so mine looked more mostly like a poodle. And uh, but I, I was growing my hair out. My dad would always get on to me about my attitude or whatever. And he'd say, he'd say it's amazing how your long hair and your attitude are connected. He said, when I cut your hair, your attitude gets better. I don't know where he comes up with this scientific data. I don't agree with it. But it did seem to work. But he would, he would cut my hair, have my hair cut. Anytime I got bad attitude. And one time he, t- he says something to me and, and uh, you got, I, I, let me explain this. I did not back talk to my parents, okay? Let, let me explain. You guys need to listen very carefully. Max, are you listening? Because you were talking earlier. So Max, pay attention. You, you, we, I did not back talk to my parents. I did not. You think I'm kidding about this. I, I even would tell my kids. Now, my kids know my dad, so they understand this to be a truth. But if, if my parents would have said something to me and I went like this, my dad would have, would have hit me, knocked me out with his fist. You didn't play in my house. I'm not exaggerating that, okay? You didn't go, oh, well, I don't think, you said, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, that was it. So one time, right before I got hit, I thought, <laughs> my dad said something about, I'm going to cut your hair, I'm tired of your attitude. And I said, you know, dad, Jesus had long hair. I was about 16 years old. I said, Jesus had long hair. And he said, he didn't even flinch. He didn't blink. He didn't hesitate, nothing. He said, and Jesus walked everywhere he went. I was like, touche. I'll take that haircut now, sir. I like to driving. All right. I don't, that was all free. I don't know why. All right. So they come and say, why don't you obey our age-old tradition? See, church does that church leader mentalities do that. Matthew 12, verse 1, at about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began to break off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. You understand Pharisees just put the word church in there. That's that's the way it translates today. They were a specific group, but that's what it was, is the church. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. This is, this is what church will bring to your life. It will bring rules. It will bring guidelines. And I believe a lot of the rules that the church has developed over the years was for control. They were control tactics. They were not always manipulative. Sometimes the, the, the point for the control was actually good, Okay. Um, the The leaders or church or whoever was trying to help people serve jesus and and trying to think that somehow you could you could uh, orchestrate this legislator or or cause it to happen, but church brings rules it doesn 't bring relationship now, as the body is operating like they are, there are two things that will happen if the body is being what it 's supposed to be the, the the family of God is being what it 's supposed to be, it will build relationships um horizontally and it will also build relationships vertically your your relationship with god will grow when the church is looking like and acting like what it's supposed to be but sometimes the church gets caught up in trying to control people for different reasons attendance reasons or finances or or um just because we like to control sometimes but and i've even caught myself as a pastor doing that before we'll discuss this sometimes when we're trying to figure out you know sometimes as a church you got to make rules you got to do stuff and um and, and you got to be careful because we have this discussion as our pastors. Sometimes it's easier for us as a group of pastors to make a rule because not to actually help people, but to help us. And to help, and it's a control thing sometimes. And at the time you're not thinking, well, I'm not trying to ruin their Christianity or whatever. And, and I'm not trying to argue that, but I do know that it's a human nature thing. And if you're not careful, it leads to something, leads to something, generation, generation, and then... You see what we call the Catholic Church in the 1500s, the 1600s, where they were controlling everything. Wouldn't let people have Bibles. Wouldn't. See, guys, at the end of the day, this isn't about the rules. This is about us pursuing the Lord with everything that we are. And Jesus says that he came to give us the revelation of who God is. He did this because of his love for us. So even the law, the rules, and those kind of things are because the Lord loves us. It's not because he's trying to give us a bunch of rules. He is trying to help us. In fact, I decided a long time ago that when I come across something in Scripture that I don't totally understand why Jesus is asking me to do this. And I study it, I try to understand it, but I don't don't totally get, why are you saying this, Lord, through Scripture? Why are you telling me that I shouldn't or should or whatever the case is? I just have chosen over time to, to decide in my mind and my spirit that he is doing what's best for me even if I don't understand it. He's doing what's best for me. That's a, that's a faith thing for me because I to, there's something inside of me I have to understand. I have to know. I have to understand. And, and reality is you're not going to understand everything. That there is a faith element. I think sometimes that comes with obedience. That it's a relationship thing. I trust the Lord that he loves me and that's his plan. And so I'm going to do some things because I'm trusting him, not because I like it or understand it. In fact, there's a song, Pastor Mary showed our staff a, a song this last week or a week before something in our devotions. And um, I've, been, I've been playing it all week and seeing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably teach it on a Wednesday night here pretty soon. But there's a part of it where he says, Lord, if you say that this is wrong, then I'm going to say uh, no to it. That's my verbalization, but that's what he said. If you say it's wrong, then I'm going to say no to it. The point of the song is because I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to be in the Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. Even if I don't understand why you're telling me no, I'm going to trust you, Lord, because I know you love me. And part of it also is because I want to love him back. That's part of the response factor with this. So John chapter 15, the church cannot produce holiness. You you understand that. The church can produce a structure which maybe can help uh, lead toward holiness, but church can't produce holiness. Religion can't produce holiness. Church leaders cannot produce holiness. This is one of the things, again, we're so personality-driven in the United States. We follow people in the United States church more than, I believe, more than we follow God's word or or the Holy Spirit. I believe we follow people more. Some guy, and, and, I, and these people, I don't want to name any because I really like some of these guys. I think they're good men of God, and I think their books are great and everything else, and I learn a lot from it. But it's amazing how easily we will take somebody like that, and if they say it, it's the way it is. And it doesn't matter. We haven't, we haven't even looked to see if it's scriptural. If they say it, it's the way it is. And, and I've had people that will argue this stuff out with me. If somebody says, I say, well, I don't agree with so-and-so, you know. Like, like, they just automatically know more than me. I'm smarter than most of them, maybe. If you say that, that kind of proves you're not, right? Then, all right, so, but, but this is the thing. and I, you know, I, I'll tell you something that we don't think about very often, but I believe this very strongly. I believe that churches all through Colorado Springs That there are pastors that are preaching really good stuff, very solid theological stuff, and they're teaching this from times of prayer, and they're seeking God, and they want what's best for the kingdom of God. But because they haven't written a book, or because they're not on some TV show, or pastor a church of 10,000 people, they get disrespected sometimes. Guys, there's some solid people out there that are hungering from God, hearing from God, and hungering for God, and teaching, and God is doing stuff. We put personalities up on pedestals. And sometimes those guys are flaky. Sometimes they're not very deep. And they're not dealing with all the same stuff. Guys, let's not be personality driven here. Let's say, God, your word is what is leading me. Your word is what is guiding me. I'm going to get into your word. And I would say this about me too so that you don't misunderstand and think that's, that I'm somehow sending a message about me here. Here's the deal. You, you, if I say something that you're not sure about, ask God about it and go to his word. Don't just assume that I am right. When you stand before God, you're not going to be able to say, well, Pastor Scott said. And, and God's not going to, you know what, you're right. Come on, He was wrong, but come on in because you did your best. No, he's going to say, but what did my word say? What did my word say? Did you, get, did you ask me what I thought? Because my word tells you that stuff. I am, I am one voice. I am not the Word of God. Guys, we've got to have some balance with this. Jesus gave us His Word, and he, and he wants to convict us with this. He wants to move it with He wants to change us with His Word and through the power of His Holy Spirit. And we've got to be obedient to God's Word. And here's the, end of the, the, the foundation of it. It's because He loves us. He wants what's best for you. He really does. But I, I know I've struggled with this, and I know there are people in this room, you struggle with this, but, but you've got to break through that. God really does love you. He really does have a plan for you. He really wants to do some pretty amazing things, and he's going to show you that through his word. But you've got to get in there and see that. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. You will. That's a a strong statement. If you truly are in the Lord, you're remaining in him, and he's in you, you will produce fruit. Okay, you will. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. This is another reference when people say, well, I don't believe that hell really is fire and all this other stuff. He says you're a branch, and if you're a branch that's not staying in him, you're going to be burned. I don't know how you get around that. That's some pretty strong language. He says, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, his words, again, his words, he is the word and his words, not my words, not your grandma's words, but the words of the Lord. If they remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. And it will be granted. His word brings faith. His word brings life. His word brings the understanding of prayer and the desire and the motivation for prayer. And then when we get in, we ask the Lord for stuff, then His word does things. We really do believe this. I've, I've mentioned this a few times over the last couple of weeks. In fact, Lynn and I were talking about it again this week. Do we really believe that prayer can do things? Yes. Yes. If we don't believe that, what is this whole thing about? Prayer is real and it does stuff. I, I was up at the hospital with John Hayjack and he, he, um, he's not doing well as much emotionally as he is physically and everything else. And, and, and he, he, was, he was saying to me, he's, he, uh, he starts crying and he says, I don't know why I'm here. He says, I really think that God's not finished with me yet. I have more to do. And, and for a few seconds, I understand what he was saying. I said, John, do you, do you think you're, you're going to die is that what you're saying? You're done? You're, you're going to die? He said, well, it doesn't look good. And I said, but John, I, let, me, let me say this with you. I, I'm standing in faith with you. I believe you're not done yet either. I believe you are not done yet. I'm going to say something that is going to, I'm going to get reprimanded from my wife later for this. Okay? I know I'm going in, so. And if any of his children find out, I said this. I don't even think he's done going to Arizona. I think he needs to take a year or so to recuperate. But who was it? I think Dan and I were sitting at lunch this last week talking about John. I was either just visiting him or about to visit him. And Dan said the same thing that I think. If that's what God's called you to do, go do the mission stuff in the Indian reservations in Arizona. Do you want to sit in Colorado Springs and just convalesce? Or if you're going to die, do you want to die doing that? I know that sounds like strange thinking. But my father-in-law is one of these people that if he dies in Africa, he will be a very happy man. The idea of coming back to America and just being in America as you're older and you can't do missions and all this a you need to be near hospitals and all this stuff. But if your heart is in Africa, wouldn't you rather die doing what God's created you to do? I, I, and John said the same thing. He said, Even if I die, I'd rather be doing what God told me. I said, John, I'm with you. And I also told him, but you're not dying. So let's stop thinking that way. Let's stop letting Satan get in our heart about this. I believe in prayer. I believe in prayer. God does things through prayer. And that's why we petition and that's why we get before him. That's why we seek him. And sometimes we need to get in and stay in in that prayer for a while. And I believe in prayer. <clears throat> We're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks, but I'll throw it, talk about it now. Um, Harry's been going, actually been going up and down the steps in his house. Now, you, some of you are like, ooh, can we cheer now? I don't know. Can we? Ooh. Here's the truth of this. The, the Everybody has told him, all your changes are going to happen in the first year after the stroke. All your you're, you're getting better and all that kind of stuff, but by the second year, you're kind of locked in of whatever's going to happen. He's had more happen in the second year than he's had happen in the first year, because why? Sometimes God doesn't play by everybody else's rules, even physical therapists, occupational therapists, doctors, anybody. God is an amazing God that can do anything. So what's our responsibility? God, we seek you. We seek you. We get in you. We remain in you, and you in us, and then you do things. Now, again, what's the reason? Because he loves us. He says, this is my commandment. No, let me back up a little bit farther. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, with joy, your joy will overflow. This is another thing that we miss sometimes. In our spiritual walk is the Lord wants us to have joy, but the more that we focus on all the stuff that Satan is trying to do or all the things going on in our life or all societal or cultural things or financial things or relational things or physical things, all this stuff, we start losing our joy because why? We stop remaining in him and listening to the word that became flesh speaking to us and we start listening to our words that are death speak to us we listen to other people's words that are death and i'm not saying bad people i'm saying as human beings our words are naturally death because they come from humanity and humanity is death we are sinners and we are dying and our words are death but god's word the word that became flesh is life that's why we got to speak his word think his word live his word not our existence because we're death, we're sin, we're corrupt, we're spending our time dying. And Jesus says, but I'm life. So what do we do? We get in him and we remain in him and him in us. And then he answers, he does things. I, I really believe, and I know this, this is a borderline, I have to be careful because I I do be, I think we can take the mentality of a of a, like the hyperfaith movement, I think we can take that a little too far, all right? I do, because I don't have time to explain that. I shouldn't have even said it that way. But here's what I know. I do think that the reason that God doesn't do more in our lives sometimes is because we're, we're thinking and speaking from us instead of God's Word. The reason there's not more supernatural things going on is because we're too busy trying to be natural, we're working hard at being natural instead of trying to strive toward a supernatural God and a supernatural mentality and a supernatural life. We're, we're working hard at just being natural. I think it. I know it. I've got all the answers. I've got the, the plan. This is my life. I'm going to do what I want, how I want. And that, none of that may be bad. It not, may not be sin. It may not be anything. But it's just human. And human is death. And he says, we can walk in life. We can walk in victory. How do we do that? We've got to get in him and remain in him. And then he says, your joy will overflow. When you do the things he said and think the way he says and live the way he says, your joy overflows. You live your way and you think your way and there's no promise of joy. In fact, I would argue that there's a good chance it's not going to happen. Verse 12, this is my commandment. Love each other the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. He doesn't say you're his obedient followers. You're his friends. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I have told you everything the Father told told me. One of the songs that I, I cannot stand that churches sing, we don't sing around here, but is uh, I am a friend of God. I'm a, the theology is solid. I think it's wonderful. I just think the song is stupid. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend because you didn't get it with I'm a friend of God. So I don't know. I'm not, but, but there's truth in that. Jesus calls you his friend. The king of everything calls you his friend. The ruler of the world calls you his friend. The creator of the universes calls you his friend. That's amazing. Now look at this. He says, "You didn't choose me; I chose you." This is one of the things I wish, I wish the Muslim world could could get this. Jesus chose them. They're rejecting him, but he chose them, and he died on the cross for me. Same for all of us. He chose you. You didn't choose him. When when we when people say, um, you know, I was lost and I found Jesus, and I, I, we use a lot of language sometimes like somehow Jesus is, is hiding from us, right? Like this is a big scavenger hunt. Jesus, Polo, Jesus. The, the, Jesus is standing right beside you. He's in, he's in your mind. He's in your existence. And he's constantly saying to you, I love you. Just let me be in charge. I love you. Let me and, and when we actually get saved, we think about it as I found him. And he's like, I've been squeezing you forever. And to to realize that he chose us, that he chose us. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you what you ask for using my name and his authority in his name. And then he finishes it with this sentence. This is my command, love each other. I'll give you a good little study to do if uh, if you're, (laughs) plenty of time on your hands. Um, Look through the New Testament and look for all the places that Jesus tells us or commands us to love him. There's actually not very many. And when they are, usually he's saying love God. Jesus doesn't ask us to love him. He doesn't beg us to love him. Most of the time, he's saying love each other. Now, he's telling us constantly that if you do love him, this is what your life will look like. If you do love Him, this is how you'll think. This is what you'll do. But He doesn't go around asking us to love Him. He tells us over and over and over and over and over and over how much He loves us. And then He displays it and He shows it. He lives it out in our existence. And He's constantly displaying His love and pouring His love upon us. But He does not beg us to love Him. And here's a simple answer for that. Why? It's because if He has to beg us or even ask us to love Him, we've missed the entire thing we're not getting who he is. If he, if he has to say, I want you to love me, the, the actual story has somehow been lost on us. The actual reality of his love has somehow not gotten through into our spirit. So what does he do? He's constantly saying love each other. Love each other. Because he doesn't need to tell us that, because we're all humans. But when it comes from us as humans looking at God, he doesn't have to say love him. He's just going to say, I love you so much, I think you'll figure it out. Why don't you stand with me? Three things. Holiness is birthed in love. Doing the things that God wants is birth and love. And obedience blossoms this out. The more that we obey, obedience blossoms in love. It, it leads to one thing after the next thing, and it grows. Obedience grows the more that we love the Lord. And then the, the end of this is the fact that joy comes from all this relationship. That, we will, that joy will be there. The joy of the Lord will, will burst inside of our spirit the more, the more we love him, the more we let him love us and connect and all these things. And the more we're obedient... Just doing what he's asked us to do. It's amazing how joy explodes inside of us from that. So, bow your heads. I want us to pray two things. The first thing that I want us to pray for is um, just asking Jesus into our heart. Um, some of you in here may not have done that, or, or you may be away from God, or whatever, and I just don't want to, you know, just assume that but to say, Jesus, I need you to be God over me. Right now, I need you to be God over me. If you say, that's that's who I am right now. I need Jesus to be God over me. I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you to come down front, anything like that. I'm going to pray together as a group. Yeah. Okay, a few, quite a few hands going up here. So here's what we're going to do with this, is let's all pray this together. And, and again, always, if, if you didn't raise your hand, that's... That's okay. This Raising the hand is really, I think, as much for me as it is for you. So I can pray for you. But to say, Lord, this is me. This is my hand. This is my life. I want you to be in charge of me. Let's pray this together, every one of us in the room. Let's pray this together. And um, you can repeat this with me and just ask Jesus to be God over our life. Let's pray. Lord God, I need you to be Lord over my life. I submit myself to you your plans, and your ways. I ask you to forgive me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to You. I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for forgiveness and salvation. Thank you for, for new starts, second chances. Lord, I thank you that you just, you just continue to love us. Lord, you, you want so much for us to, to be in relationship with you. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus, name. And keep your head bowed. And I want to ask you this next question, and I want to leave it kind of open-ended or ambiguous, because I, I, I really believe the way I, I... I believe that every one of us in here are processing this differently and I don't want to limit what I think the Holy Spirit wants to do with us but I'm going to try to keep it simple with this if you would say your prayer right now is I just want to know Jesus loves me I just want to know down in my spirit for, for wherever you're at with this I just want to know Jesus loves me in my prayer for the rest of that sentence would be and, and I want to love him back. That's my heart. But to say, I just, I just want to know Jesus loves me. Whether it's because of a forgiveness issue or just, you know, maybe baggage, the way you look at things, processing stuff. Whatever it is, I just, I need to know Jesus loves me. You say, you say that's me. I just need to know Jesus loves me. I'd, I'd like you to raise your hand I, I'm always moved by this because there's always so many people that are saying this. And I've I, I struggled with this at different times, so I know, I know what it is to raise your hand for this. I just need to know. I need to know Jesus loves me. I just need to know. God, you open our spirit. Open our minds, our hearts. And Holy Spirit, you just rush in rush in, filling us up with the love of Christ, filling us up so we feel it, so we know it. It's in our mind, it's in our spirit, it's in our heart. Lord, let your love consume us, the confidence that we're yours, that we're yours. You said that the Holy Spirit would bear witness with my spirit, that you would tell me specifically, Holy Spirit, that I belong to God, that I'm his, that Jesus loves me. Lord, fill us with your love, your grace right now. God, I pray, don't let anybody walk out of this room. Don't let anybody walk out of here without without having to process this. Jesus, you love them. God, and I also pray that nobody rejects it. We don't push away your love. We don't push you away, Jesus. And I pray for every one of us here that we would, that we would respond to your word, to your, to your laws, your rules, your commandments. That we'd respond to them, and, and do what you've asked because we trust you, because of our relationship with you. That we that you love us, we love you back. We're gonna do everything we can to be obedient to you. Even when we don't understand, we're gonna be obedient because you love us and we trust you. Jesus. Lord, I ask you to jump into our world this week and mess with us with this. Get in our heads and mess with us. Don't let us go. Jesus. Amen. I want to leave you with this last thought. Scripture says, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I really believe, and and this may sound a little hokey theologically, but I do believe this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I don't believe that even when people stand before God at the judgment and they they do go to hell, I do believe in heaven and hell and I do believe people will go to hell. I don't believe that that separates them from Jesus' love. I think he spends eternity hurting because they're in hell. I think as human beings, God wipes our tear and we have the ability to move forward and we don't live for eternity with that. But I don't believe Jesus ever stops loving even if they reject him to the point of going to hell, he still loves them for eternity. And I think it hurts him. That's why we got to tell people. Tell people about Jesus. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So tell somebody before you leave here, tell somebody that you are glad that they are here. Somebody that you don't normally talk to. Tell them that you're glad that they're here. We will see you guys uh, not Wednesday night. We're not having service Wednesday. We will see you next weekend. Have a great rest of your week.
1: use my